Welcome to the Mizan Seek Weekly Podcast, where we hearken back to our college debate days and put two movies of the same theme to battle it out each week as if peas and carrots didn't actually go well together. This week's episode is Oscar 2023 focused on the best animated feature film with The Boy and the Heron duking it out against Across the Spider-Verse. I have chosen The Boy and the Heron. Yours truly, Stephen Rankin, has chosen Across the Spider-Verse. So, Let's discuss this. Let's open up the, the chatter here. Hopefully we can get better week over week with less plot and more actual banter and questions for each other. But this is Scene Weekly and welcome to our world. Hey, welcome. Uh, that was good. Four. You did a good job. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan, you just got back from a Disney cruise, right? <laughs> I did. Thank you for asking. <laughs> is I gained seven pounds, by the way. Uh, oh, wow. In a matter, Yeah, in a matter of... Five days. Some of that might be a little related to to water retention. Uh, because, okay. boy, by the way, and you know, no offense to Disney cruises. I mean, this is the second one we've been on. Have a child. This is what you kind of have to do to some extent. With that said, um, there happens to be boxes of like, sir, like you know, where, where if you have diabetes, used syringes would be placed everywhere. Um, well, that's very thoughtful. Little, yeah, that's one way to put it. <laughs> Just they, is, they, they know um, their clientele, I guess. Is what yeah, that's that's a very good way to put it. But it was a it was a lovely trip. But thank you for asking. I probably yeah. Don't I mean, I just kind of wanted to segue. You know, Disney usually dominates, or Pixar usually dominates the animation category at the Oscars, and we're talking about two movies that are neither Disney nor Pixar. You have you know a Miyazaki film in The Boy and the Heron, and I have Sony's Across the Spider Verse. Why? What, what's what's up with Pixar? What's going on at Disney? I, think, right I mean, now? I think. Do you think, I think Bob is like focused on other things? What's maybe happening? maybe they're more focused on their cruise line and uh, and, <laughs> and parks and things like that. They, have you have you ever seen pictures of a Disney cruise? By the way, I have not, but or, I'm, I'm I'm eager to do a little quick Google search and check it out. Well, here's my Google search for you. Um, so very quickly, I'll give you a breakdown and a snapshot without having to actually Google anything. Uh, we were on the Dream, left from Fort Lauderdale, which was very pleasant. It was actually my first time in many, many, many years uh, in Fort Lauderdale, but lovely place. Um, I had a friend who was like running a half marathon there, strangely enough, who actually won. But nonetheless, it it was a fun time. There was, imagine Disney World just encapsulated without all the rides, you know, there's water rides, into a boat. And so in, a, in your effort as you might have if you have a four-year-old ever in the future that wants to see characters that are Disney related, you just go down uh, uh, what a few flight of stairs and there's a character, Mickey, Daisy, Donald, Goofy. Chip and Dale, Pluto. Yeah. Every, yeah. everyone you princesses can imagine. Princesses on there? Lots of princesses, pretty much all of them. Yeah. It's uh, which is a good mini. Yes. And uh, you can just do anything you want. Um, there's no limits. Basically, I went on the first cruise and there was a question to me, what, what, like, how, why are you ordering the way you're ordering? And I was like, I just am ordered from the table who was uh, adjacent to us. And I didn't know how to answer that. And like, you could order anything you want times six. Like if you wanted six entree, six of the same entree, feel free to order six of the same entree. So the second cruise, we started ordering whatever we wanted. And uh, then we started feeling a little bad. We're like, we're, you know. Like guilty to... or bad, like stomach a little cake. guilty. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sonia for both me, I was more of like they are working very hard um, to satisfy the needs of 
the patrons here. And so we, we were, uh, uh, you know, providing good tips. So good. anyway, That's- I don't, I don't know what Disney's doing other than Disney cruises, but you know, they're not in any of the categories. So yeah, we got a couple of you great know. films here to discuss. Uh, you have uh, the latest Miyazaki film in the boy and the heron. And I've got, I got Spider-Man. Uh, what's, what's your history with uh, Miyazaki films? What, you know, when did you kind of start watching them and gravitate towards them? I can't remember what the first film I saw, but I think I watched it maybe a little too early, at least for my own brainwaves not being formulated. So I think it was probably Howl's Castle um, in the early 2000s and not Spirited Away. And I actually didn't catch Spirited Away. Strangely enough, I have always been interested in you know, for example, using a Disney flick, uh, The Lion King, which I've also seen probably 20 times in the last two weeks because of my daughter. But I've I've never, this is like, I'm arguing against myself right here. But with that said, I've always loved animated films. Uh, but for some strange reason, people were so in the promotion of Spirited Away, Studio Ghibli, I think it's 2003, but same director, same creator, same brainwaves if you will that uh i just stayed away from it for a long time because i just was like how good this can this possibly be which is the dumbest thing if you really think about it to to stay away from something if (laughs) if everyone around you is like this is the greatest thing i've ever seen you should probably go and watch that thing my friend hashem who's probably gonna be watching this he had the same idea he doesn't like american football but he's like if 100 million people are gonna watch something i think i should probably watch the super bowl and i was like that makes a lot of sense um seems enjoyable but i would say House Castle was probably the first I saw. And uh, strangely enough, it took me many years to get to Spirited Away. But, you know, I was I was blown away then. And I basically went down the rabbit hole, which they do. Ghibli <laughs> and big, every, yeah. sing, every single Quite one literally. of their movies. Yeah. Um, but also, if you, by the way, there's a new setup here. Yet again, I guess we should call it out. I'm in my basement and it's freezing in New York. And uh, I'll attempt to, to not shiver throughout this podcast. But uh, what's your experience and what was your first film you saw? I'm kind of the same way. Um, I I never saw any of the Miyazaki films when I was a kid, um, yeah. even though he's been producing films for a long time. It, and I don't think Miyazaki really blew up until, especially here in the States, until kind of that spirited away moment. Um, and I was, you know, I was in college. I wasn't trying to watch, you know, I was never into anime or, you know, animated films and things like Dragon that. Dragon Ball Z. Not nah, it wasn't my thing, um, so I kind of stayed away from it. And then I I saw probably about ten or twelve years ago. That's when I kind of put on Spirited Away, and I was like, oh wow, this this yeah. is not just for kids. This this has a lot of deep themes and and, and things like that. So I, uh, I I started kind of picking and choosing um, you know different films uh, throughout his career and fell in love with them. Like it's it's. It's a, it's a treat to to kind of dive in and, and watch these films. That's why I was so excited when this new one came out and it was nominated for an Oscar. So we got to talk we get to talk about it. Yeah, I was pretty excited. I was actually pretty bummed. Um, it was kind of like a band breaking up back in the day. I think 2013 he, he retired, and that was Reti- it. There was retired. Be no more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like MMA fighters retiring or boxers retiring. People don't actually retire in this world. But, I mean, he was 72 at the time, 82 now. And so, you know, it did take seven years to make the film itself. But um, I was sorely disappointed. I, I also think that Tarantino, you know, for 
better or for worse, his 10th movie. I think it's called The Movie Critic. Is, is that right? The Critic, yeah. Yeah, yeah or The Critic. Is that his last? Is that his last? I don't know. We'll have to see. But I think it's a, it's um, you know, if you're an artist, you get to decide whenever you get to stop making that art or when you're going to pick it up again. But I think, um, you know, Jay Z creating the Black Album, there's certain allure to to it being your last, and maybe it's your third, second, third, fourth, last, whatever it might be. But nonetheless, I was ecstatic that there was another movie coming out, and I had been following this for a long period of time which took seven years to make, um, which in essence is kind of dealing with somebody who is, you know, in the later stages of life and the twilight of their career, um, or hopefully not, but it, it does take a while animation wise. And he was very particular in exactly how he wanted to, to portray the characters and how the animation is set. Cause it's very similar in terms of the structure of, of studio. Gilbert. Yeah. I would, I would, I would kind of in a sports world kind of put this like, it's not like MJ retiring and then going to play with the Washington Wizards to fizzle out his career. This is more like Tom Brady saying he's going to retire, then joins up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and wins another Super Bowl. Like that's kind of what Miyazaki did. You know what I mean? Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, it's it's just his movies, or I shouldn't say, I mean, because there's a collection of people here, but it's really the brainchild of, of, of him. Uh, he just it, he just is able to capture emotion on a screen when, to be honest, like it could just be a, even a small moving fleeting picture um, set to music that touches you without any words, um, which, you know, I, I, I try to find this in movies themselves, not just in animated features or animated anime, like because I'm very similar to you. I wasn't into Pokemon or Dragon Ball Z, but I did very much enjoy DuckTales and Chippendales Rescue Rangers as well as Darkwing Duck and those were like in these back to back to back uh, 30 minute or 22 minute sections uh, of post school television but I did did enjoy those cartoons but um, not animated films I would say um, except The Lion King and I, I, that was really really wet my whistle but why don't we get into the actual synopsis itself? Um, I can give you a quick breakdown. We have actually decided to make more of a formulated rubric, not only on the, the evaluation side. So at the end of this podcast, we'll actually go through um, some numbers where we actually assign our own personal score to each of our movies, and as well as uh, Stephen's going to do the same for my own. And then we're going to average out the scores to see who effectively wins since we haven't decided how best to do this, and I think this is probably the best rubric. We decided in advance as well, um, you know, the percentages we are going to assign uh, each of the categories, and so we're kind of set on what we're going to do. And if this is a complete haphazard mess, well, we're going to figure out what what to do in the future. Yeah, figure it out as we go. I mean, these categories are kind of like the standard, you know, best best performance, best cinematography, best mise en scene. But we also have like our kind of own moments that we are awards that we made up uh including the the best ember moment which we'll talk about later but it's you know we're going to kind of play around with it and see how it goes and ember away so the backstory is this the movie is called the boy and the heron it's 124 minutes uh mizazaki miyazaki is the creator idea generator but studio ghibli is really the um you know not to take anything away away from him is really the 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 brain behind this. It was released last year. And in effect, 
in New York State, at least around me, it was very difficult to actually find this movie in a non uh, in a dubbed in a non dubbed version. So subtitles. I, I ve- vehemently am opposed to any dubbing of movies. Now you know people have they're saying whatever they they so choose and what they want to do in life, but. I think you're brain dead if you want to go watch a dubbed movie. So there's that. And everywhere around me just was showing the dubbed version of this movie. And I had to drive on a Sunday uh, during the Super Bowl, mind you, um, to watch it. But it was lovely. I thought I was going to be the only person in the movie. But it turns out two other crazy people who don't like American football were also there, too. Uh, and they were probably walking in as I'm uh, just chowing down on my snacks because that's what people do when they watch movies. Um, no judgment. But it it was lovely. Steven doesn't eat snacks, so you can uh, rail on him about the comments there. Um, 2023, PG-13. It's a fantasy film. Uh, of course, it's animated. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm actually going to add in an IMDb score, uh, which is quite low, in my opinion. Uh, 7.6 out of 10. The budget was, the, I believe, the highest budget of Japanese animated film ever. Um, I looked up just to see what the, the top 25 were, and uh, it doesn't even make the top 25. So I was a little surprised at that. $100 million is a massive budget for an animated film, but that's over yeah, seven that's years. Huge. So it makes sense. Same same budget as uh, your movie. Yeah. Box office, at least right now, I'm sure this is changing. And I'm sure I don't even have updated numbers, but 280 in the box office. But it, And it, it, it was the first uh, Miyazaki film to be number one in the US at the box office for a, a week or two, I, I believe. So yeah. or it opened up number one. Opened up, yeah, yeah. It opened up as number one, which um, I think as as each, not as each, but it, 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 if he continues this path, it's probably going to just keep continuing better and better. Um, but I think the preview, if you watch the preview, is a little different than you know um, his previous movies, uh, including Spirited Away, and so maybe it captured uh, a new interest. But it's uh, really surrounding Mahito, who is he? He's a twelve-year-old boy. Uh, in the, the the current time of the movie, um, he struggles to settle into a new town after his mother passed away in a hospital fire. And so the original score uh, in the original, I guess, setting um, starts with a siren and ultimately a boy who is Mojito running towards towards a fire. Um, and his mother sadly passes away. And um, he eventually has to, to move out of Tokyo a few years later. And his father actually marries his uh, late sister's sister, which I don't, you know, um, this was, by the way, set in a a post-World War II or during, uh, I think it's during the Pacific War, but, you know, it's maybe more common in those days, but it makes a lot of sense ultimately at the end. But, you know, I guess you have to kind of get past the initial that's that. that's one of my questions for you was what what are your thoughts on the, his dad marrying his wife's sister like i mean <laughs> I don't know. time and place i guess um that, that that's my ultimate answer time and place so i i now i i certainly am not uh going to be marrying my wife's she doesn't have one but if she did have a, a sister um it'd be very strange i think now i mean does the I, sister feel like i'm just the backup like i'm the i'm the I'm not the lead, but you know, if, if somebody breaks an arm, I'm or you know burns up in a fire, I'm I'm playing the role. I mean, Tom Brady, to use your American football reference, I mean, he he wasn't a starter to begin with. So what That's happens true. then? I mean, good. He wasn't he like a backups backup? I don't even know. This person talking about football, but it's questionable. 
but I think the time and the place kind of affects it. But anyway, ultimately, he he moves to a new town. It's outside of Tokyo, uh, very much in the countryside. And he he gets to know uh, a a gray heron, if you will. And the gray heron informs uh, Mahito that his mother actually is still alive. And so the premise is really contingent upon that. And uh, he enters an abandoned tower. And boy, is it a tower to to search for his mom uh, to another world. And those worlds become more like an inception where there's dreams inside of the world and there's thoughts and memories that that come up and bubbling over of, in essence, um, characters who take on different life forms. But um, it's an interesting quandary and mix of dreams mixed with uh, current thoughts of, you know, and the subconscious trying to too. balance trying to balance life's obstacles, especially you know after trying to recuperate and understand that his life is entirely changed and trying to deal with the balance between creativity and, and staying grounded uh, in reality as well. And I think that's that's the entire thought that Studio Ghibli had um, is the fact yeah. of trying to find balance. Yeah, and this was, um, this was a very, I think Miyazaki's most personal film based on a lot of his, his life as a child. I mean, he did grow up in, during, you know, World War II, and he did move to the countryside. He didn't lose his mom, but his dad uh, was, uh, you know, he produced uh, you know, airplanes and, and, and things like that. So exact same thing. So a very, very personal, uh, you know, story on his life that he wanted to tell as, as his last one. I mean, this movie is a trip. This movie is, like you said, down the rabbit hole. I got, I got touches of Alice in Wonderland. I got touches of the wizard of Oz, a little bit of Charlie and the chocolate factory. Um, yeah. And, and you stir all these things together, added Miyazaki. And uh, I, I had a, I had a blast watching it. The first, I guess, 45 minutes to an hour was very still, was very peaceful, was very serene. And it kind of almost lulled me to sleep in the theater. Grant, I was sitting in a reclining seat that was heated and everything like that. But like, it was very, very just peaceful, relaxing, still. And then you kind of get thrown into this 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 world when you go into the the castle. And like you said, down the rabbit hole. So it was uh, it was a trip. Yeah, it's that's very common. Not in the start of movies, but it's very common in in Studio Ghibli to do that and have these segments of, of film where you are kind of lulled into like this thought process. And it does it, it does it very well with music. Um, and I, I love the fact of like, I'm speaking to a different movie, but Spirited Away was able to do that with a piano, but outside of the first five minutes of his mother dying and the fire, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just setting you up to expect something and something I'll talk about later, but it's setting you up to think one way and then kind of like throw you a curveball. Uh, of what actually is going to happen because you're thinking this is going to be you know going into it you saw the trailer and things of that nature but you didn't know how wild this is actually going to possibly be and there's this this is probably a podcast this is i mean you could probably have an entire book about this you could probably have an entire like class of literally an entire semester discussing you know why did they go into the front door and was there a back door for example to the tower and like, why did they choose to go in the front door? Did he have to go? You know, it's things of that nature. The, the reflection of his mother, which was very ephemeral and the blue, the, the gray hair and said, you know, this, your mother is still here. And, you know, water took her away immediately. There's a lot of, of references that I think you can kind of carry over 
to a metaphorical side of life. But um, the backstop for me, at least, and, you know, it's taken me 42 years to kind of understand the complexity of this. And, you know, um, I've always liked movies where I, not necessarily where I'm scratching my head, but kind of. I like movies that that make me think and aren't so simple. And I think this is in all of Studio Ghibli's movies, there's always some underlying current of uh, challenging your philosophical views, um, whether they're simple or complex. But there's always something that you can think about and take away. It's This is not a movie I think watching at one time, we should probably even have a podcast <laughs> for. I think this is one where like, and like three more viewings, you can actually have a more substantive conversation. But I, I think, and I hearken back, and I try to think about this. I hearken back to earlier times of, of the 80s, for example, or 90s, or even before of, of like Total Recall and Blade Runner. And these are, you know, Philip K. Dick um, inspired movies uh, and some short stories and books. And then eventually um, what caught up in my mind is Minority Report, Scanner Darkling, and Waking Life. They're all Philip K. Dick inspired, but just weirdness kind of to some extent, if I were to put it in like a couple words, weirdness with meaning. Yeah, not weirdness, not weirdness for weirdness sake, not, but the, 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 the strange dreamlike qualities of it add layers and layers to the storytelling. And this is, you know, this is one of those films, like you said, it doesn't hand you the story on a, on a silver platter and say, this is what we're telling. Um, it, it gives you pieces. It gives you fragments. It gives you ideas to to think about and ponder and and, and wonder was was this all a dream? Was you know this fantastical journey? Was um, I, I usually judge films in my mind uh, of how long does it take up space in my brain after I've seen it? Yeah. And this yeah. this film I've I, I saw it about a week ago. And I've literally thought about it every single day since then. Just little yeah. parts, little pieces. And yeah, granted, we're doing a podcast about it, so I kind of have to. But even it, it crept in my mind in, in in other ways as well, too. And that's when you know a film is is is, is powerful. And I think that's the magnitude of of what they they're trying to do in terms of metaphor and tra- in terms of meeting. Where I think good poetry in essence or anything really good artistically um you know looking at the mona lisa for example and i'm not trying to compare different art forms but to understand that each of those items is going to challenge you and it's going to stay with you and you're trying to figure it out as you go to sleep and waking up the next morning and i think for me like memento 12 monkeys really was a mind fuck for me where i was just like what just happened (laughs) and memento afterwards as well was like I just remember, I don't know if you were there with Milton and I, when we were watching it all together for the first time. And I was like, what was that? Like, I need to watch this immediately. I don't really understand what happened. Maybe I haven't seen enough films up to this point, but I think it did stay with me as well. It's it's still with me. Uh, I think it's going to take a, a little while to unpack, but I did watch it last Sunday and it's been, you know, Disney cruise away uh, and se- seven pounds I have gained, by the way. I don't know if I said this yet, but geez. Um, yeah. Also my going off topic my daughter we were trying to i was trying to teach her you know how the, the old trick of like stealing somebody's nose okay you, have you stolen somebody's nose before or you know pretend I, I have yeah i have, have nieces yours? i have nephews i i've, I've yeah taken well, a few uh taken a few well i i 
I give them back. I mean, they they they, they need those for. <laughs> so this is the first time I've attempted to do this, or maybe I've done it and she just didn't care. But um, I tried to teach her how to take somebody's nose, and then she she tried to do that to me, and she just went full in on nails to nose, and so I had on a Disney cruise a scraped up nose. I guess you can't even see it, but <laughs> nice scab. So anyway. I'm not scratching at myself, but nonetheless, I look like uh, I've been scratched and she got some of my nose. So I guess technically the joke to, joke's on me and it worked. Yeah. Yeah. She, she got your nose literally. Um, this, this film, going back to The Boy and the Heron, it was almost kind of like it was, uh, there was moments where it was unraveling into the surreal. And the first moment that caught me on that was seeing the teeth of the heron and i was like what is what is going on here I mean, that was like yeah. the first instance where there's there's something strange afoot at the circle k like this is this is uh this is weird uh what well, about I think you it's, yeah i mean it was slightly before that only because i was probably on the the tip you know i was waiting to see where that difference is going to lie and i think be, before that when the heron actually um and was mentioned the heron's never flown near the house and without the, sh- the showing of the teeth. And I think that was kind of uh, the first indication that something is afoot, but I think it's more of not more of, it's also like the melting of his world. Mojito um, in the fact of maybe things are starting to become dreamlike um, because he wants to get out of reality. And I think that's really ultimately what he's, he's trying to fight, you know, the loss of his mother and trying to, to continue on in a new place um, with new people and you know getting bullied as well his, at school like his first day of school he was bullied and he's walking back home and what does he do he takes a rock hits yeah, him on so, the head it's, it, it was the most kind of visceral thing i've seen in a cartoon ever probably like for that a cartoon yeah. that's made for children as well and i was kind of shocked by that scene and this scar actually comes back to you know for some significance later but I was curious, and I have this as a question for you, but, um, and I, I maybe this is too dramatic to even be talking about, but like, have you ever hit yourself to uh, out of either, you know, anger or just trying to get out of something, for example, like you didn't want to go to a play or you didn't want to go dance? Because I was, I was thinking of the situation. Uh, it, for example, I myself, I can't. Th- you know, I have injured myself, but uh, accidentally, but not on purpose. And I, I felt he must have been in a very bad shape to take a rock and hit himself against the forehead um and you know i say this very sincerely because my wife i mean her her mother died when when she was five and so um while this is clearly not me i i you know i have seen i guess the ultimate effect years later on on somebody but she hasn't hit herself per se that i know of but it's such a powerful moment of just trying to get out of reality and he's trying to legitimately kind of knock himself out and to, to just not think anymore. And to me that there were so many moments in this movie that were, were sad, but there were also in the, on the inverse, so many that were also uplifting almost simultaneously. And in those, the, the choice of the ember moment of what the film represents, I, I have hundreds. Um, but that would be potentially one of them, like trying, if you have this overarching theme of trying to balance reality with fantasy, and your own dreams and having a problem doing that 
um, and I think that's the essence of of this movie. That's one of those moments of like, ah, he's having a hard time. I mean, but look, look at his reality. It's a very, very difficult reality. His mom passes away. He's in a new place. He's getting bullied at school. He's having a very difficult time and he just wants to get into fantasy. And that's where he goes into the tower, like very, very soon after. I think it's like a day later. Yeah. I mean, I, I, to answer your question from earlier, I, I've never, I've never caused self-harm, but I have, uh, I, definitely faked being sick just to not go to school a few days because I think I like got a new video game and I wanted to play it or something. I don't know. Just one of those yeah, things yeah. when you're like in middle school. Um, but I, I have, you know, I, for, for me myself kind of relating to, you know, uh, this personally is I moved around a lot as a kid and I had to, you know, be the the new kid at school. Granted, I never got bullied per se like that, but I definitely felt like an outsider. And I definitely felt like, you know, what am I doing here? What's, how do I make friends? Uh, it, it was, it was difficult. And it, it toppled that on with, you know, like your, 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 your mom being burned in a fire, World War II's going on. And, and of course he wants to get out of reality. Of course he wants to uh, escape and, and, and not deal with the the problems are at hand because when you're a kid, even as an adult, like you find coping me- mechanisms to to get out of reality, whatever, whatever that might be. And as a yeah. kid, what do you know? You hit yourself with a rock, and that was so visceral, um, but so powerful. And I mean, just trying to decode this movie, wondering, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but with the uh, uh, the grand uncle, the old man, uh, the first kind of part that you see him and there's this big rock that's saying this is what started it all and is that the rock that he hit himself with the head that's that's kind of what i gathered from it yeah i don't know um again i i think it's going to take more more viewings but to me yeah it's it's i'm glad you actually shifted to the sorcerer um who happens to be his great uh grand uncle who is you know you know, whatever you want to define him as. Um, but he, he definitely in the world that is in the tower, he is the balancing act, I guess, to some extent, um, or actually he is the guy. And so he quite literally has his own little small, uh, succinct tower of shapes and moves them around every few minutes, um, to keep balance to the world that, that he is currently in. And, you know, I'm sure we could kind of, uh, go into the next stage here, but since the bloodline is still in Mahito, he has been chosen to actually take the role of keeping the balance between um, the fantasy world, if you will, uh, that may or may not exist in the head of Mahito or, or otherwise. But he has been chosen as the the one to actually decide um, how to keep balance there, and he was giving was being provided guidance by his his great granduncle on how to do so. And in essence, uh, he felt that he he could not do it. Um, because he wanted to choose reality over um, because he was effectively choosing the potential for pain over a dreamlike state or however you may, may think fit, but he had the scar and he thought the scar of himself injuring himself um, prevented him to some extent of actually taking over. But he also chose reality when it came down to it, that he wanted to live in reality. He wanted to live in reality and he also wanted to make his reality Better. He wanted to build something better as well, um, where something that wouldn't be so teetering 
on the point of falling falling down just basically the same thing like he was in that moment when he hit his head with the rock he was his his balance his his teetering just fell and he could, he couldn't cope with it anymore and he wanted i mean he's in a time of war he's a kid he he has a new mom it's got it's got to be uh one of the most difficult things in the world um let's segue to segue. something a little less uh less daunting in terms of deciding the, the, the world that you live in and all, everything is on your shoulders. I, I love the fact that pretty much any studio Ghibli movie, you, you kind of understand it almost immediately who the good and the bad guy is. Uh, and then everything gets flipped on its head, depending on, you know, the nature of what you wanted. For example, you're going to think, at least I thought, uh, the Heron's going to be good. And while he was good to, to go into the tower, like he ended up being, um, uh, the bird man, which there is a, a human or a, what seems to be a human inside of, of the bird, uh, which comes out after Mojito actually shoots him with his own uh, arrows um, feather. But nonetheless, what are your thoughts on the parakeets, which in the world of the in the tower world, <laughs> they're just anarchists. And so there's a lack there's a lack of fish for example. And so since there's a lack of fish, the parakeets who would eat fish, the, uh, the, um, pelicans who also would eat fish are now attacking pretty much everything they want to, uh, but trying to eat things they wouldn't normally eat in essence, creating a nightmare for Mojito and anyone that's going to be included or involved there. What were your thoughts on the parakeets and just the world and the characters? Because I thought they were so well done. And even though you, you know, with the little moving clouds of the little creatures, mm-hmm. I don't even know what to call them. Like they had their own like cuteness, like spirited away with the little spiders they have their own cuteness to them. But um, what were your thoughts generally on the parakeets and the pelicans in the world of, of laugh to some extent? I think, I think Miyazaki is one of the greatest at world building. He can create something so fantastical and you, you believe it, you believe it and you go with it. And yeah. the, 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 yeah, the, the parakeet King um, and all his little menus, like it, it this is kind of where it gives me that Wizard of Oz f- feeling of like the flying monkeys and, you know, the, the, the whole, it, it, one of the, my favorite moments um, was when, see, I need to have a rewatch on this, but I think I know. Mejito was, was, was trying to escape or run out and the parakeets are chasing him and he gets into reality and all the parakeets just start turning into small, actual little parakeets. And it's just this beautiful <laughs> wave of them coming out and then just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I thought that was beautiful and, and, and brilliant. Um, like I said, the world building is incredible. It was one of what? my favorite scenes. I'm glad you, you picked on this one because they were actually exiting the tower and it was of a different time. And therefore the parakeets themselves are kind of um, once they're getting back to reality, the dreams, it's kind of like waking up from a dream. You, you remember less and less of it as uh, the reality like kicks in. And so that's what's in essence happening where the parakeets are, are those memories of the dream is becoming smaller and smaller. And ultimately they're also getting hacked down, but it reminded me of, of my own childhood, um, of having two parakeets. And I, I don't like to have birds at home and I'll never have them again, especially Sonia would despise them for pooping reasons. But like I had, I had two parakeets myself. They all, they all were just—they're a menace. Um, and ultimately, one got out of the cage because my my cat Licorice decided it wanted to try to eat one, and it hung out for three three days under a refrigerator. Um, 
and just we thought it had died we thought because there was like feathers everywhere we thought licorice ate the bird um but i couldn't stop remembering um that scene of the parakeets and also the parakeets we had at home eventually it actually showed up randomly and uh it was subsisting off like the refrigerator runoff you know, like the oh melting water <laughs> so just drinking water <laughs> scared to come out but had a warm place and some water and that's all you really need i guess in life but the parakeets i felt which was like the perfect choice of just crazy like we're going to try to take over this world basically this dream world in essence and you know they ultimately try to take over as well the big parakeet the king parakeet um the balancing act of of trying to be the sorcerer which complete destruction immediately happens and the world and the dream ba- basically starts coming to an end um and that's immediately after as well uh mojito says he doesn't he basically doesn't want the job he wants to create a better, better reality for himself which i love um it, it life is a balancing act we what we're, we're trying to do right now is a balancing act of, of trying to stay in you know life is tough um we have yeah. very tough times i think a lot of times was it Nietzsche or I can't remember the philosopher philosopher um, pleasure is the absence of pain. And I, I really truly very much agree with that. Uh, it's very binary, but, and of course there's more nuance to that statement. But with that being said, I, I do believe that there's, there's an essence to, to it as well. Um, but I think that's, that's ultimately what this movie is about to some extent. He wants and to I, choose, I, even if there's pain in the future, at least I get to create it. Yeah, and I think on another another level, another subtext is you know this is Miyazaki's possibly final film. Uh, he is kind of like the grand uncle of of you know saying who's going to take up my 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 baton, who's going to keep keep this going, or is somebody just going to start creating their own thing? And this is the end of what I've created, and he's he's conveying that as well like i feel on another on another level um within the film i loved it yeah he actually he actually is going into uh he started a new movie already allegedly i don't know what allegedly i mean if it takes another seven years i mean knock on wood but we'll see um i don't know if you want to get to your new movie but i I have a, a few more things here so the parakeets are just absolutely hilarious and the, the fact that they're being hunted um in this this dream world but i do have uh i do have one powerful moment for me and one that i just think that is um i don't know it really is so simple but it also uh, i keep thinking about it over and over and i wrote it down when i was in the theater i was taking notes and uh hopefully not creating too much of a stir but um i have two questions for you and then you can go on to spider-verse um would you want to stay in your dreams forever? There are some dreams where you you, you don't want to wake up. Uh, it was kind of the first time, first time I saw Waking Life, which we've talked about before, um, and that idea of of lucid dreaming. Um, I've had lucid dreaming in the past before I watched that movie, but I didn't really know what it was or I couldn't put my finger on it. And I saw that movie and I was like, I paused it when, when they, they kind of explained that scene and I was already a little bit sleepy. So I was like, I'm going to try and lucid dream. And I did, it worked. And it, you, you kind of have to teeter on that, like awake slash dream space and you can do it. And it's, it's like, it's just a balancing act. Um, but to answer your question, 
No, I, I always prefer reality over, over dreams. I mean, because it's, it's real. And even though dreams can feel real, it, it's, you know, you gotta, you gotta go with what's, with what's solid. What about you? Do you think that this reality is a simulation or, or a dreamlike state as well? Wow, that's another, that's another long conversation. <laughs> I don't know how many times recently as well that I've just been, this has to be a simulation, right? I mean, this has to be like, but I think that the human nature is um, fairly easy rep- replicable in that, you know, probably people are having very similar thoughts and whether there's a collective consciousness or not, it may just be a simplicity of, of uh, individuals having similar thoughts because we're of similar creatures and we're pretty basic and simple when it comes down to it. We all eat food and drink water and have to sleep from time to time. But I think there is a simplicity to us. For example, we don't even know, you know, the universe, 60, 66% is dark matter. And what is it? Who knows? I don't know. So maybe we are in a dream and a simulation, but I think when it comes down to it, uh, whatever this reality is, one where I think I'm awake, I think uh, I'll, I think I'll take that all day. For example, I woke up um, 6:51 today, which is like every for the last three days. 6:51 has been the time I wake up, strangely, and I woke up from a dream, and those parakeets were fleeting and getting smaller and smaller, and I was like, "This is such a cool dream right now," and I was like, "I can't even remember it." Uh, yeah, it goes away so fast. So it's, if I could uh, remember my dreams better, maybe. Uh, but I, I did go through a time to, for lucid dreaming as well. I took an intro to philosophy course and it was lovely. But but nonetheless, I want to get to the last point. And I did have a lot of questions here and I, I enjoy this. Um, I This is so powerful and, and this is my ember moment. And the ember moment, uh, to wrap this up, we've changed the idea of waking life moment where there's a, a moment in a film where you feel it represents either your feeling of the totality of the film or the meaning or whatever it is to you, but it's this one moment in a film or it could be a collection of moments together that it just, it connects with you better than anything else uh, during the movie. And, and for me, it's a quote as well as the moment. So Himi, who is the character inside of the tower, who is actually um, a younger version of Mihito's mother, um, who is of course alive and the heron is, was telling the truth that your mother is in fact alive in um, in your memories is alive or possibly, you know, in real life, depending on, I guess, the simulcast. But there's one quote. It's so simple. It's six words. And it's it's just like, it's a very emotional idea for it. And I'll just go ahead and say it. But she's speaking. She's speaking with her son. She knows that it's her son. And it's the time before an effect because she is of an age where she she uh, she hasn't had Mahito yet. And there is a fire. And she tells him, I am not afraid of fire when she was going to be leaving. And, and in essence, if you think to the very beginning of the movie where there is, in fact, a fire and she dies in the hospital fire. I what she was in effect trying to say is, I'm not afraid of fire, but I have to leave you now but I'm not afraid of fire because I know reality in reality for you to even exist to begin with that fire has to take me. And so this reality has already been set. And so for you to exist to begin with, I have to do what I have to do. And that is just like, it was so powerful. Um, cause you know, everyone's scared naturally inherently of fire, but 
the fact is what she's actually trying to say is this i'm not scared because i love you and i want you to to exist and be you and create your own reality as you see fit and um i just love that so much like it was it was it's such an ember moment it's literally an ember fire and it's just uh it was just the quote is so powerful to me now that was a great moment and that that it was it was it was allowing Mito to take his grief and replace it with a feeling of gratitude and a feeling that you know he he had his mom a feeling at peace basically he could he could be at peace that he knows that she's not afraid and she wasn't afraid even though yeah. at the very first scene we see him running uh, you know across everybody just to try and save her but he couldn't did you speaking of the young mojita's mother uh lady hemi uh, yeah right yeah was it a surprise to you that it was his mom at a young age or did you kind of know all along and like pick it up in the movie? No, I didn't know. I actually didn't know. I always try to like speculate on, on the, on Ghibli's movies, but um, I didn't know actually. Cause like with, with Ghibli, there's a lot going on. Um, the heron could like, I always think the heron could be good. The hair can be bad. And that's where I was saying at the very beginning, like you, you always think you have something figured out and then it just gets flipped on its head. Um, and I think, I kind of get un- so unsettled that any possibility could happen. So I, I you don't, don't try. Really you don't try and zone in on like, okay, this is the story, and that's what's going to happen. Because I do then, at the beginning. I do yeah. at the beginning. I'm like, oh, this this is it. And then like, once it shifts a single moment, I'm like, whatever. I'm I'm down for the ride here. Basically, buy the ticket, take the ride. And uh, yeah, I was like, we'll figure it out. We'll see what happens. Yeah, the 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 one scene that kind of got me hooked early on when I was like, is that his mom at a younger age? was when she gave him the bread and the jam and he was eating it. And he said that this is just like my mom used to make. That was like an inkling of like, okay, what's going on here? And yeah, yeah, no, but it it, it was good. Um, Just overall, this, this movie was fantastic. It was the first movie I've actually seen um, since I think um, the Batman, which I saw with my mom and my family in Colorado a few years ago, but or two years ago. But then before that, it's it's probably been another two years. I really enjoy sitting in a theater very much. So. Yeah, it's been fantastic um, though. Loved it. My my, uh, my my I have two kind of quotes from this movie that I I really liked. Um, one is also just six words, and kind of we we kind of touched on. Uh, but the heron says to Mahito, "You'll forget in time. You should." And that's what happens with all dreams, right? But it still stays with you, even if you do forget. Like in your in your subconscious, you have that that feeling of peace and not grief because you experienced it in your subconscious. Um, another kind of uh, another quote uh, that I that I liked was uh, Kiriko. She was the younger version of one of the seven um, housemaids. Yeah. She also had the scar on her her yeah. her head. Um, she said, a gray heron once told me that all gray herons are liars. Is that a lie or is it the truth? Mahito says, a lie. The gray heron says the truth. Truth, yeah. And, <laughs> you, don't, <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what you can believe. That's, uh, I love that as well. That was a, another quote. That was my second backup quote. Um, I did very much enjoy that. 
that's what I like about uh, all the Ghibli movies, though. Like where even it become in, you know, the entire studio is kind of like known for this. It's just challenging your notion of what things are or what they aren't. And is uh, the Mona Lisa smiling or is she not? Or is she, you know, doing a, a different smirk? So you, you never know. Well, you know, we can have debates all day. And I guess this is why we have a podcast to do it. But I want to say this to, to segue in, into the Spider-Verse, which I love movies that are that are metalogical in nature. And I always have. When things get too metalogical, sometimes they're ridiculous. But I think both of these movies are of a perfect metalogical nature of, of being, you know, quite literally in the, the spider versus there's a multitude of, of spider men and women and, and creatures <laughs> T-Rex for that matter. And um, I just love that we chose these two movies that are very metalogical and kind of uh, just, you know, they're up for an Oscar, but are both unbelievably fantastic. Yeah. I, I found the kind of the link between the two, uh, with the the parental figures, one in the boy and the heron, he loses his mother. He can't save her, and he has to deal with that grief. And then into across the Spider Verse, Miles Morales is aware that his father is going to die, and he's going to try and do everything he can to save him at what cost. And yeah. two, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum, but they find a link together, which I thought was really cool. So you want to get into Across the Spider-Verse? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So my movie, Across the Spider-Verse, it is the sequel to Into the Spider-Verse. I believe it came out in 2017, 2018. But this uh, was a budget. It says around 100 to $150 million. It had a, a. It was delayed by about a year before it came out. Um, but the box office was $690 million, uh, almost a little, almost double of what the the first installment was. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 95%. So both of these films, I mean, were they're excellent. Yeah. A um, little bit of the plot. Uh, so we see, so after after uh, reuniting with Gwen Stacy's Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood, Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders. He must choose or he must soon redefine what it means to be a hero so he can save the people he loves most. So this takes about this takes place about 16 months after uh, the first movie, uh, the setting, the, the into the Spider-Verse. Miles Morales is is riding high. He's beloved by all as as Spider-Man. He's even a he's even hosting Jeopardy. Uh, he's doing well, right? He's he's his his Spider-Man persona is doing well. Him, on the other hand, as a as a young teenage kid trying to trying to navigate life, uh, it's a little bit more difficult. He's um, trying to be Spider-Man and save people, but he's also late for school functions and school meetings and and uh, things like that. Uh, I, do, I do want to point out. I love the opening of this movie, how it focused on Gwen Stacy's story uh, rather than Miles Morales. I feel like Gwen Stacy was. It, this was also her movie too, not just not just Miles. Like th- this was like both top billing for for both of them. Um, but she comes into a conundrum where she is trying to save the Peter Parker there, who uh, becomes a reptile lizard, um, and ends up in a in a fight, and he ends up dying. And her her father, who's uh, 
captain of the of the uh, the police catches catches Gwen Stacy Spider Man and basically he uh, he what does he do? He threatens to, to to arrest her and everything like that. But she escapes, right? She escapes and goes into the uh, the 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 multiverse and becomes. Um, one of the elite spider defenders with uh, Miguel O'Hara, who is Spider-Man 2099. Uh, but this movie was kinetic, um, action-packed, full of comedy, um, and had some great themes. Like what what I what I loved most about this, besides like seeing all the little cameos from from Spider-Man. I, for me personally, like I've been a Spider-Man fan for a long time. This is my 2099. Yeah. Got a, got a few of them here. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I've grown up with Spider-Man. Um, I read the comics. I've watched the cartoons. I have the third the Spider-Man upstairs. Just a, you know, oh, you do? Here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I grew up with the, this. Now, Miles Morales, I, I wasn't really introduced until the, into the Spider-Verse. Uh, Me too. And, Same here. Yeah. And he's a little different, right? He's the anomaly. He, uh, he got bitten by... Uh, a radioactive spider from a different universe. So he wasn't supposed to be bitten, which is a big plot point. In I love, story. by the way, and I have a question for you because the immediately off the bat, it was stunning for me, visually stunning. Um, the oh, yeah. directing I, I thought was, I honestly, I, I can't think of another movie that is as stunning as this movie and specific to the directing when there's an animated film. And I, I thought, of a quandary. And I was like, is this real? Because I've seen Skinner darkly link later's doing waking life. And he wrote, he created rotoscoping. And I, my, one of my first notes was how the fuck did they do this? And then it's like, cause there's three directors, first of all. And then right. I was like, is this rotoscoping? And if not, how, how is this? First of all, this is like an idiot asking this, these dumb questions, but like, I have to ask you, cause I have no idea. I didn't even look this up. I'm, I'm using you as Google. It's, fantastically a breath of fresh air if you if you were to take like the snapshot of each not only scene but like just a the camera image of whatever still you have there's a lot going on like intimately especially on the streets especially like in the microwave scene that comes later there's a lot going on how was how was this even done i don't know this is this is one of those things that yeah, I I'm amazed by at the craftsmanship, and I have no clue. I do know that the first the first um, occurrence of rotoscoping was in a, a '70s movie called Wizards, um, but it was it was not the whole movie. I think the first whole movie was uh, Scanner Darkly or, or Waking, uh, Life. Waking Life. Waking Life. Waking yeah. Life was the first, yeah. First whole movie where, and for our viewers that don't know what rotoscoping is, basically taking it, filming it with real people and then using uh, computer graphics to illustrate over that takes, it's a very long process and it's very, very hard to do and time consuming, but no, this was, this was all, I mean, this was uh, computer generated, hand drawn, all the animation styles they had to, they had so many animation styles they had to do. I love Gwen Stacy's world. That was like all watercolored and, and, yeah. and things like that. Like a beautiful, beautiful animation. Um, you know, even even like cutaway scenes, like uh, I don't know, you remember the Lego scene in this movie? The, I didn't want to get in immediately to this, but like that, if you were to 
if you were to boil down like a one five second scene of this movie, that's my favorite part of the whole movie. <laughs> I was, was laughing great. hysterically. Like the Lego guy, like Lego Spider-Man is literally giving a cameo in a Spider-Man flick. And I was like that where metalogical becomes like a, a frayed to uh, nth degree. I was like, this is hysterical. I, I actually wanted more of, of Legos. Oh, so did um, I. So, yeah, yeah. This is one of my like facts that I found out about, about the movie was uh, the Lego scene was actually directed by a 14-year-old YouTuber who really? was, a, was a fan of the Lego movies and like did his own Lego Fantastic. YouTube uh, things. And the creators of the Lego movie who also wrote this uh, wrote the script for Into the Spider-Verse contacted him. His name is Preston Mutanga. And they basically said, hey, we want you to direct a Lego scene in our in our movie. And he every day after school would get on zoom calls with the the directors and the writers and like, all right, this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing. This is the storyboard you sent. And he, he created that 45 second uh, clip, which I thought was really amazing. No, it's more than amazing. I mean, it, it, it <laughs> there was many moments of the, the movie where I was laughing out loud, but that I was hysterically laughing out loud. I just thought it was, uh, it was perfect. It was the perfect moment as well. There's a second moment. Um, I'll let you bring it up, but that I thought was Almost equally as funny, maybe a little more, um, but nonetheless, I'll, you can get into it. I, I just, I, I'm I guess wondering what I'll that put, is. You don't have to get into it immediately. I'll see if you bring it up, and not. I'll, I'll definitely bring it up. But I, I love the the original. I don't know the first few minutes where there's a shout out, uh, and throughout the entirety of the movie with number forty two, uh, with Jackie Robinson, Brooklyn Dodgers. But um, I, I love that, and also the different way of visualizing animation uh they were able to com like compile which is mind-numbing like I, I still i have no idea how this got made it's just it's unbelievable the way it was uh it was directed but it reminded me in initially of where there was like the white on white scenes i, I felt like kind of watching spielberg's ready player one where there's like a a nod mm -hmm. to uh to pop culture there's with a aha's take on me where there's that yeah. white on white like camera and i was like this is so good this is very yeah. enriching and I mean, you don't have to be a fan of of the comics or Spider Man, but it, it makes it that much richer if you do kind of catch some of those uh, those inside jokes or those those little cutscenes and things like that. Um, I do want to kind of point out uh, the the villain of this movie. We kind of we kind of get two. We get a villain and we get a, a like an anti hero. Um, the first villain is what we would call the, the they called the villain of the week. Uh, which was the spot. And he, <laughs> he's an actual comic book character created in 1984, 85. I looked this up for first. He was voiced by uh, Jason Schwartzman in the movie. Uh, great, great voice actor, fantastic Mr. Fox, things like that. Um, but the, the creator of the spot basically thought of like, he was watching old Looney Tunes, uh, cartoons and he remembered he just remembered from his childhood like bugs bunny being able to move his rabbit hole in different places and, and things like that he's like I, i'm gonna create a comic book character out of that so he uh he he created the spot and he has a six like a weird sense of humor so he came up with the name for the spot as jonathan on thinking that he would be johnny on the spot it's it's very a big funny pun character intended. yes it's a very funny character um and Schwartzman does like fantastic. I think his voice, voice loved Schwartzman to begin with, but uh big Wes Anderson um, guy, but he, he, uh, in this movie, he definitely brought the 
action as well as the humor at the same time. And some, sometimes, most of the time, simultaneously. Um, but it was fun. A lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, so we get him as the the first villain. He's, he's um, I guess, leveling up, as you could say, going to different dimensions and, and things like that. But the second kind of antihero is who we kind of showed, Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, um, voiced by Oscar Isaacson. And he is kind of this defender of all of the multiverse. Uh, he has his team of spider people. First, we think it's a, just a small elite team, and that's what um, Miles thinks. But then he goes there and he's like, wait a minute, there, everybody's here. And why am I not included? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so that's a little dig to him. But uh, he, uh, Miguel O'Hara is uh, the one that wants to make sure that these universes uh, stay stay afloat and they're, they're not getting uh, the, the timelines aren't going to get um, disjointed by a, an anomaly or an event happening that could disrupt all the other, all the other universes. And one of those such anomalies is that a loved one of Peter Parker or Spider-Man, a loved one of it has to die. So we see that in uncle Ben. And we also see that in uh, Gwen Stacy as, you know, the, the, the captain of the police force is the one that's supposed to die. And, Miles' father just became captain, or is about to, is about to become about to be, captain. Yeah. yeah, about to become captain, and his his uh, his you know tragic moment is about to is about to uh, occur, and so Miles is now he has a fire lit underneath him. He's like, I have to save my dad. I have to get back yeah. and save my dad, and this is at the risk of knowing if he does save his dad and this tragic event doesn't happen it could be the, it could be the result of everything falling apart which happened with M- miguel o'hara's uh universe he tried to go to another universe and save his or you know save his wife and it it created the whole universe to fall apart so you have these two things and and you have uh cantonism versus utilitarianism right cantonism yeah. is every person is valuable and should never be used as a means to an end Versus utilitarianism, which is the maximum amount of good for the maximum amount of people, is preferable choice. So you have these two views. Obviously, Miles is wanting to save his dad at the risk of maybe everybody else, the whole universe collapsing. Whereas Miguel's like, does it matter? It has to happen so everybody can live. Who's I asked, I, now? I present this question to you. Who's right in this situation? I don't think anyone's right. Um, who do I think is? I mean, who would I? I can see both sides of this this spectrum. If you were to ask me early on in life, maybe I'd have a different answer. But I think um, it's all up and I don't know. I could. It depends on the day. Who would you choose? I don't know if there's a right right. If that makes sense, like who's right? I don't know. Like, is, does somebody have to be right? Can't there be a little nu- nuance here? Like, I think there's yeah, a nuance. No. Yeah, I think there's a nuance. I, as an audience member, as a viewer, as a fan of Spider-Man, I think we're conditioned to obviously go with the Miles choice. And that's what we want to see. That's going to make the better movie of, you know, him trying to save both his, his, his captain police father and the whole universe. Uh, But you also see Miguel O'Hara's point of view. um, And as an objective outsider, you you kind of think, Hey, you got to do the maximum amount of good for the maximum amount of people. We can't be so individualistic. Sure. I'm thinking of Thanos, like, you know, bringing other superhero movies in and thinking, yeah, like, uh, you know, 
besides the population decline that we're having now, but if you actually were to have, you know, a significant portion of, of society, um, you can under, I can understand the perspective of, you know, Thanos, these people got to go. And then other people thinking, you know, not quite sure we agree with you. You know, there's, right. there's two perspectives, but yeah, there would be no movie. <laughs> there was no <laughs> conflict. And therefore this movie has to exist with, uh, with Miles' perspective in mind. But I think there could be both ways. There's more nuance. Um, I think they're both on very, very different perspectives. And uh, I think it goes back to my original comment at the very beginning of we don't understand the universe and probably Spider-Man doesn't either. Uh, 66% of our universe is dark matter. And I think we're probably too unintelligent to understand everything just yet. Uh, And that's where I'm just like caveating it, I guess, or like pegging it. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway. I dig uh, yeah. So who was, who was your favorite? No, I'll ask it. I'll ask this question. If you could go grab a beer with any of the uh, characters in this film, who would you want to go grab a beer with? Spot. A hundred percent. Spot. Huh? Yeah. Spot for okay. sure. I mean, I like, I like all the characters, but I mean, I guess the Lego Spider-Man would definitely be the number one. Like how, how do you move? How do you even like do things? <laughs> like, do you use the restroom? Like I'd have a lot of questions there, which would be fascinating. But the idea of just, um, I don't even know what to call him an interdimensional creature that can go throughout time and people, I don't know. Spot seems like a, a pretty cool character, has lots of jokes um, and deep fried feelings possibly. But um, I think, I think Spot would be my guy. What about you? Man, I really, I really liked every scene that uh, Hobie Spider Punk. Yeah, Hobie. Yeah, everything that he was in, everything that, like he just was. He's like my guy. Like you know, fuck the establishment. You do you. Like, why am I even part of this elite Spider Gang? I'm out. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> I, I want to. I want to hang out with that guy. Uh, I think. I think he'd be a cool, cool buddy to grab a beer with. Um, but yeah, this movie is a. It's a sequel, right? Um, and it's also a part one. So we get that at uh, that cliffhanger at the end. And, you know, we're, we're going to be talking, we talked spoilers earlier about the point of hair and we're going to talk spoilers here, but what did you, what, I don't think it was more of a twist, but more of like that. It was a rug pull, uh, kind of right, yeah. right from out under you. Uh, how you're talking you about, about to, to be continued. Yeah. But like the, uh, yeah. the, 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 the scene where you kind of find out, wait a minute, miles is not in his universe. He's in the spiders universe that bit him. Yeah. And that means there's no Spider-Man there. But he's except there, him. Yeah. except him, and his uncle. His uncle is still alive, the, the, who was the Prowler in the first film. Yeah. And you get you kind of get this rope pull, and you're like, "Oh snap, shit's about to go down." Yeah, I mean, if you, the entire movie is like anything can exist, right? Um, so therefore, he's just in a, a partial universe that things are different, and uh, it's the string theory, effectively. Yeah. And so, but to me, I had a question for you. Sure. Because I, I primarily not to hate on this idea, but I haven't seen very many. And I try to look this up. Like what's the, the best, although it, it could or could not say it quite literally uh, to be continued. What's the best to be TBC movie ever. It turns out, I guess a lot of people currently have said uh, Spider-Man or across the, the, the Spider-Verse, but which makes sense. It just came out and people are loving it. But I, I was thinking of, of one in particular, Lord of the Rings, the first one, there's no TBC, but it does, you know, as it pans out to, uh, you know, Gandalf and others riding on horses and yeah. uh, it just cuts. 
And I think I saw the, that in theaters with you. Now that I think about it. Yeah, I think we were but in Colorado at the time. Just pans out and and you're like, wait a second. This can't end like this. What are we doing with our lives? And that's how it, that's like the same feeling. I was like, wait a what? Come on. And I was like looking. I was like, this can't be it, man. And of course, it was it. Yeah. However, I like the idea, I think, of to be continued. But it needs to be continued a little more fast. And I'm not of the, the guys and understanding that things need to be neat and packaged as like an American viewer typically are in terms of we want things dubbed. We want it our way. I'm not that type of person, but I don't, I just don't think I like the two, the two be continued. Um, I'm definitely on the binary spectrum here. I, I definitely, I don't like it. I, I, I would prefer if things go to hell um, or if this comes out in a two part series, like for example, I didn't like the fact that breaking bad was split into to two different versions for season five. I just thought, what about, what about kill bill? Kill Bill, it actually had a totality, though, for the first. And each of it those did, movies yeah. can, can kind of like stand on their own. And while it's an extension of it, of uh, the original story, I just felt like you could watch one. Like you could watch two without one and you could watch one without two. And they're all kind of like the same to me. And while it's kind of similar to Godfather, the same uh, what I would just repeat there, it applies to Godfather one and two. While it's an extension of the story and a continuation of the story, I just think that you know, it's not necessarily a to be continued, whereas this one is where it's like cliffhanger pull, you know, your the rugs pulled from under you. Yeah. You, you bought some Bitcoin and and now for 50,000 and now it's at 10. Whoop. And, and you just got to hold was, on and wait, wait for the <laughs> wait for the, the trilogy wait for the I mean, that's that's what run. we got to do here. Yeah. But uh, but what were your thoughts on the, the TBC? Uh, you know, I when I first saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is great. This is going to set it set it up for such a great uh third film. And then I got to thinking, uh, I'm going to have to wait five years <laughs> to watch this third part. Am I even going to be interested in, in, in watching it? Like, it's just, it's not like one of those things where it's a cliffhanger uh, on a TV show and you, you get that next episode the following week. Like this is, this is a, lo- a long time. So I would, I would have rather preferred a little bit more of a a little bowstring, a little bit of, you know, more, more of a yeah. uh, closure on, on that film. But I kind of want to jump back to, to the boy and the heron because a lot of, a lot of people are talking about the ending to that and how it left some people dissatisfied. What, it, what do you, what do you think? It didn't leave me dissatisfied. I think most of the, the Ghibli movies, it's so open for interpretation. Um, the way I felt it, it, he chose reality and, and, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but for him, that's that's what he decided, the boy. And I felt like his mother was kind of that signing off, um, even though it was an earlier version of herself. She's still the same person in essence, but um, I, I didn't think of it as a cliffhanger. Um, this clearly was a TBC cliffhanger and, and yeah. also one in which the universe hasn't been explained to you really. Like, you know, you have found out where he is, but what has existed in that moment or, or moments, uh, we have no idea. So I, I think of them as vastly different, but I didn't think of it as a cliffhanger. Oh, I didn't think of it as a cliffhanger at all, but I, I, I felt like the boy and the heron. I, for me personally, I, I also, in, I liked the ending a lot. I thought, I thought it was very poetic in the sense that it's, again, we go back to this, the very still calm world. He wakes up out of bed. You see the, the, the newborn baby is uh, actually a toddler now, but they're going to move back to Tokyo. And it's just a very still scene. And it just kind of says like, life goes on. Yeah. 
life goes on. Like, life goes on. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we'll, uh, going back to Spider-Verse. Um, I have a question for you. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you really think children with superpowers would actually help the world? You're saying children or teenagers? There's there's a difference here. Let's te- teenagers. Teen- okay, teenagers. Um, and I guess you can even wrap in the fact of like adults. <laughs> like, I feel like if if I had if I had somebody saying with their their last dying words, with great power comes great responsibility, and I had great power, I'd still probably be a fuck up. I'd still probably, <laughs> I'd still probably like just like sneak into movie theaters and the weight know, of this. <laughs> like, what, what, what do I have to do? There's other. I didn't sign up for this. Great yeah. responsibility. Define great responsibility. What do you mean by that? Like, do I have to have some a good notes here score? before you leave? Yeah. Like, is six fifty good? What do you have to do to get a car? Oh. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about this throughout and I was like, man, if I were a teenager and I don't know, we probably shouldn't discuss this, but like teenagers, if you had the powers to do whatever, not whatever, but I just, the maturity of a, a teenager to to want to to change the world or help the world around them is, it's admirable to say the least. And, you know, even adult helping others, it's, uh, it's also admirable, but a teenager, boy, they're psychopaths. I don't know the last time you've hung out with a teenager, but teenage boys are maniacs. I mean, I, yeah, you were I, a maniac. I was a maniac. Just, just yeah. I try and stay away from rage. it. Like I, I had to, I had to go to, I had to go to a, a, a mall here in San Jose to see uh, Boy and the Heron, and I like I saw a bunch of like teenagers, and it, I just wanted to avoid it as much as possible uh, because yeah, they're awful. They're awful little people, um, and I don't think any of them would try to save the world um, or save anybody for that matter. I have another question, unless you have, you want to get into something, but it kind of goes hand in hand to some extent as being a teenager teenager. And I'll give you an example of, of what happened to me. And so there was a lot of embarrassing moments for, for miles and his mother, for example. Uh, I mean, you can probably go into them, but um, when, when the mom was trying to connect and saying something to like, I'm sorry about icing your game. And he's like, <laughs> no one, my age, talks in the words in those order as you just did <laughs> and i was like that's that's like that get, captures like the teenage like angst so well and those and like no mom i i understand what you're doing but nobody says shit like that my age ever i mean i thought she was being pretty hip like i thought all right cool <laughs> i didn't think it was that bad but yeah i didn't think it was that bad what is has has your mom ever like said something to you that was not cool i mean for example i was in line buying deodorant for the first time i don't know what grade i was in like sixth grade or something like that and uh for for whatever reason i was i think it was like right guard like the the green version of whatever that might be um deodorant and then <laughs> my mom like saw that i was excited because i'm like you know growing up coming of age and buying deodorant I'm not gonna smell like <laughs> a putrid fool and um my mom is just to some extent a clueless person, but she's very like agreeable, not agreeable, but like, she'll just, just be honest and tell life as it is, even if a teenage boy doesn't want to hear it. And she's like, he's buying deodorant for the first time. Look at him. And I was like, man, what the (laughs) fuck is that about mom? And I was just thinking of all the moments and during like the moments of, of miles and his parents, like not getting along, like, ah, it's not cool. And sorry for icing your game. 
I was like, what did my mom do? And I was, that was the first one that came to my mind, even though I have a, a, an asundry of them. But has your mom ever made you feel not cool? No, but um, I can tell one story of when I, uh, I, it was my birthday. I just turned 21 and I went to go buy beer at a Kroger and I was with you actually. <laughs> and you, when we were doing the checkout, you decided to have the person checking us out put on the loudspeaker that look, Steve is, is buying a beer on his 21st birthday, everybody happy birthday. And I was like, Oh my God. Now the whole store has to know that I'm buying beer legally, which was the first time I ever bought beer. Yes. You were um, at the time. Anyway, we don't have to get into the emotional yeah. side of things, but you're very excited. So would you have a hard time telling people you're Spider-Man? You think? Keeping it a secret. I'd like to tell a couple people, like just you know, like kind of yeah. do a little hum- humble brag. Like, hey, <laughs> see what see what happened I would on the too, news, right? Like, <laughs> dude, you see that? That was me, bruh. Right? Don't. I would. Yeah. That would be nice, especially as a teenager. How do you keep that from your parents? Right. Right. Like, That's tough. You, you know. I mean, you're in the it's, papers. Your host. Yeah, you gotta you gotta let a few people know, especially like the the crush. Like, you got a crush on somebody. You're like. Hey, did you see Spider-Man on, on the front page? I took the photo and that's me. Yeah, yeah that's fair. That's good. That's, re- that's really good. Um, yeah, I have a few other questions, but your honor. I, I have a question for you. Sure. Do you like, do you like chai tea? <laughs> I like chai. Um, I do. And I, I spent a couple weeks in India in a couple different um, times in my life. And one, and I still like chai, but with that said, there was a moment where I very much didn't like it. And I'll give you the example. I was just visiting a lot of people in this neighborhood I was staying in, and um, this Indian community was very nice to me, and a little too nice, because every house, and I went to see like five different people, and every single house, they're giving me chai. And um, for the first two rounds, it was like delectable. And it's, of course, going to be rude if I don't <laughs> drink the tea. <laughs> and I got to like three, four and five. I'm like, I, I don't I, I'm starting to feel sick. Like, I don't I don't need any more of this. So I, there was a, a moment where I was I could have did said, you have a did you say, have a chai? You have a chai come up and come up and no. is it like, as you know, I have a, a, a iron gullet, if you will. And so I, yeah. I don't uh, don't often vomit. What about you? Um, Tasty. I like I like dirty chais. I like doing a you know chai in my espresso. Um, and this movie, I, I didn't know that chai tea was repetitive. I, I didn't know it was TT. Mm. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of it's kind of like uh, the baseball team, the Los Angeles Angels. Oh yeah, yeah. The Angels, no. Angels. Yeah. Well, you know. Um, I have a final question for you. I have another. I guess you can go into your your stuff. But actually, my last question is. Um, once you get done with your your statements and quizzical moments, what else you got, my friend? Uh, t- 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 um, so I was trying to find like an ember moment because um, this film is so, like I said, so kinetic, so fast paced, and frenetic I'm do at times. Frenetic, yeah, frenetic. I'm going to do probably the most frenetic uh, part of the movie, which was the chase scene through Nueva York, yeah, um, where. Miles has to ex- escape and outrun 
all of the spider people. So he wasn't invited to this elite force. He finds out this this elite force is filled with thousands of different variations of Spider-Men. And he's the only one that can get away from every single one of them. I think, I think he deserves to be there. Don't you? I think so. Yes. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that chasing was great. It was fantastic. It was fun to watch. I just watched a clip of it again on YouTube and it's, it's just, it was, I was, I was enraptured by it. All the little funny moments you see spider horse, spider T-Rex, spider cat, spider therapist. Uh, you see it all. And how that, are you playing audio? No, no, no. I don't have how that started with which uh, you actually didn't get to surprisingly. My second favorite part of the whole movie was actually the the Spider Man meme, where they're, <laughs> yeah. where they're like you, you, and then just it went like to an an nth degree. And since there's of course like spider creatures everywhere, including a T Rex, you, 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 and it's just like a full minute basically of that. Yeah, that was hysterical. I thought that was so funny. Like the the meme is actually coming to life, even though it's it's already come to life with uh, who's played Spider Man in the past physically. But I thought that was hysterical, especially the T Rex. The T Rex blew my mind. I was was like, this is laughably good. The crazy thing is, is every I'm pretty sure every single Spider Man, Spider People that they they created and put on the screen has been. In, in print and video or in video games or some form of creation prior to this film. Uh, amazing. And there were some weird ones. Like weird ones I'm like, I clearly don't. I mean, I don't know where the T-Rex came, <laughs> came from. And I started thinking, I was like, did it get by a spider? Get bit by a spider? And then I was like, what spiders and what spiders existed during the uh, Jurassic period? Big ones. And there was, there was, there was one spider. Arachnid. It actually wasn't big. Um, and I, I couldn't find uh a particular spider but anyway it was very funny yeah yeah uh, also spider spider horse like why does why does he need to wear a mask yeah. <laughs> and, and i found it interesting because it happened in the last movie too of uh the eyelids of the spider creatures uh whatever they, How they blink them. yeah they blink and i was <laughs> like this is such a an interesting concept I, I i didn't know how to like really perceive that and it was like are these the eyes or are these, is this like more like an iron man eyes where it's just like the digital version of of things um but i i just like the, the opportunity to change something new but i would overall there was so and there was a blinking scene of uh a first person view blinking scene which reminded me of enter the into the void enter the void um uh, which i think is a japanese set movie from like 2009 at the end of it, it gets a little mind-numbingly um, tasking. If it, or it just becomes too much, where you're like blinking, 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 because you're the first person. But the the shot that they they took from this was was unbelievable. Um, I actually have a quote for you that I I loved and I laughed okay. out loud. Where, um, I can't remember even who said this, but they said, uh, "Welcome to Helvetica, Spider Man." And then there was <laughs> there was a pause, and I was like. That's not good enough. Enough. I mean, that's okay, in and of itself. Uh, Helvetica a font, um, font making yeah. a, a, a joke, and then Spider Man replied, "Bold." And I was like, "That's really, that's really." I didn't catch that. Yeah. There's, there's so many rapid so fire good. jokes. Yeah, like because it was like it's a neutral font, generally speaking, Helvetica. So it's like, and he's like bold, but he, what he's saying is kind of the breaking of the fourth wall of uh, of that's bold of you to even make that joke kind of like making fun of himself as a dad joke um which it, it kind of like builds upon itself like a snowball which i found uh 
again, metalogical and hilarious. I thought it was really It's great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Uh, so you got my Ember moment. You got my 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 best quote. It's not gonna be a you got you got a lot of the the funny zingers and things like that, but I really liked again, probably my favorite character in the film, Hobie. Um, he told Miles, he said, just don't enlist until you know what war you're fighting in. And I, th- I thought that was, that was a great, you know, a- anti-establishment, but also like, don't just join because you, 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 you want to join. You might not be fighting for the right cause that aligns with what you want. And I think as a teenager, a lot of times, you know, kids growing up, they, they feel like they have to join this to fit in and, and, and be validated and, and things like that. And, that was a that was a good quote from Hobie. Yeah, it was good. I mean, overall, this is a um, first of all, it's been this is my favorite week we have done so far. Uh, very enjoyable. Both movies were just fantastic. The, but I, I was left with the just I just can't understand, and I'm too stupid to understand. I guess to some extent, um, just the directing of this, um, as well as just the idea. Like somebody drew out, I would imagine, storyboarded this. Which oh, yeah. is a movie before the movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of reminds me of like Khodorovsky's Dune to some extent. And um, just an unbelievable setting. The New York scenes are just impeccable. And I've never seen a movie. And I have this angst and not angst. I have this hatred of like actual movies. Um, you know, not non-animated films that display rain. Because I think overwhelmingly it's shit. Every scene. Pretty much, I've I've only seen I've I it's so rare I'll actually pick it out and be like this is a good rain scene because it doesn't look like a, a goddamn flood from the sky and it's just like so outrageous like I can think of the Matrix which is so outrageous but that was probably my favorite rain scene but it looks so ridiculous but it, it works well because there's there's a tunnel but with that said the rain of this was perfect just the way it was shot and the trickling down of everything and the movement of the different spider people. <laughs> Moving in and out of cars, for example, in the chase scene, it was unbelievable. The, but the microwave scene, and you probably don't even remember it, but in the the bodega, the microwave scene where there's a fight with Spot happening, and and you're like, here's the microwave, and you're seeing it from this angle, uh, and then the bodega is behind, so you're seeing through the microwave what's actually happening in the microwave and what's happening a little blurred throughout the back. And I was like, that is a fucking brilliant, brilliant scene. Um, and there was just a variety of those. I was like, this the directing is unbelievable like well done three incredible individuals and i it's 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 easier to see like the directing i feel like of live action like oh this this choice by this director to put this camera here and that camera there and it's a little bit it's a little bit more just it's harder to kind of get that feeling of like what did the animators do was this the director was this some you know storyboard artist like how did they come up with this i don't know i'm not i'm not well versed into that i have no idea but you know what i am first in numbers i i don't know if you have your numbers and do you have do you have a wrap-up do you have a statement do you have anything that you would like to say before we get into to who's going to be a winner and who's going to be so the first the first uh installment into the spider-verse um it won best picture at the oscars uh Mm. so now it's up for a second one a lot of times sequels don't come through they don't win uh best best animated feature yeah and this this award was only it only started back in 2007 the first recipient was cars um Mm. wow 
And, you know, a lot of times you never even got animated films to be nominated for best picture. Obviously that, that didn't yeah. happen. Um, I think the first time an animated feature got nominated for best picture was toy story three, but that's when they included 10 films instead of like the typical five sure. expanded it. But that, that's not a closing argument. I don't did really you have like, a closing. Did you like Spider-Man? Did you like the Into the Spider-Verse one or two better? Gosh. That's tough. That's mm. tough. Um, I feel like I liked... I liked the cast of characters more in the first one mm. with uh, Spider-Pig yeah. and... Uh, Nicholas Cage's film noir Spider Man. Like I, I, I really enjoyed that, but I think I like the story better in this one. I like the story. I think the directing of this was better than the first. I think the story was better um, in the first than the second. I really, I, I didn't want to talk negatively, but I just didn't. Um, there were a lot of times that I would write down, "This is too frenetic," um, and I feel like the music could have taken a and not to compare it to the boy and the heron but there's moments where the boy and the heron kind of lets the movie just be the movie whereas spider-man it, it's trying to do too much and and leave the there's so much visually happening and acting as as well between multitude of characters having music that also has words for example it kind of takes away from the scene itself and i felt like um that really affected me by the end of it and i i feel like definitely the first was was better to me um and also spot was a little too cute eventually <laughs> spot. for me and i was like this is like and everyone eventually became too cute like okay i get what you're trying to do I'm just trying to the baby spider like, this isn't yeah. the other guys yeah. you know like why do we have to always be funny here let's get serious you know, like you know people are dying or potentially dying it's like ha 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 gotcha it's like okay you get it but anyway i have a question love, for you i Yes, sure, Bob. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen every single uh, Miyazaki film, but where would you rank The Boy and the Heron on your Ooh. kind of personal list? Oh, oh boy. It's tough. Top I, five? I, th- I think... Um, man, I don't know, because the Ghibli movies really do it for me. Um, Spirited Away, I would definitely put it number one. And um, to be honest, like as excited as I was to watch this movie, I would have to put every other Ghibli movie at like uh, at number five and just spirited away from one through four, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, it's just a uh, the magnitude of Spirited Away. I've seen the first time I ever saw it. I watched it again that same day, and then I think I watched it a third time that same week. And I've seen it I don't know how many times since, but it's uh it's gonna be tough it's going to, I would imagine impossible to beat that movie. I think it's a perfect movie. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, any, any which day I, I am a person as you might, as you definitely know, I'm a list person. I can create lists for everything. I have a list of, of top 500 movies. I have a list of top 25 songs, bands, everything you can imagine books. And, um, this is just one of those that you get me on the right day. And I, I could put the, I, it's never going to be number one, but I would say, as of right now, um, probably like a two or three. Yeah, probably probably third. But um, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that the Born the Heron got to rewatch will, it. It's going to be very rewatchable, but I feel like it's going to 
gain esteem over time. I feel yeah. like in 10 years, we might be talking about this. This might be better than Spirited Away. Like, no. give it some time. Give it some time. Maybe. I, I would agree, but it's not going to be. I have watched Spirited Away as, you know, not far off the age of now. I mean, I, I, mean, I first watched Spirited Away probably only five or six years ago. Um, yeah. And so Another I was. Another question for you. Similar age. Yeah. Uh, would you, at what age would you show your child, uh, the boy and the heron? Like what, what, what do you, what do you think is kind of appropriate or. I mean, I'd go seven, eight. Yeah. Seven, eight. Seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty early on things. I mean, we're at four showing uh, lion King just at barely four. Um, we're deciding how we're going to discuss Mufasa's death. And now she just wants to watch Mufasa fall from, um, (laughs) the rock, you know, like just, Did he break his bones? What happened to him? Um, Those are all legitimate questions. Now it's become very strange. I actually, I had, I had one last question in regards. I'm glad I remember this in regards to your movie. And so, and maybe this is going to stir up nonsense of the, the, anyone watching this. Why do you think I should phrase it, frame it this way. Do you think the way Spider-Man occasionally floats in the air with, with, uh, arms out like this and feet up do you think that's an effective way of floating or flying or whatever he is doing i have an answer for this but i would like to hear what you have to say i think it depends on where he's trying to go and at what speed uh i think he's trying to if he's trying to fall fast to you know maybe Mm -hmm. catch something that's falling uh he's going to angle himself like you know the, the the to get the least wind resistance as possible now to glide, I think you need to kind of like tilt your chest up a little bit more, put your arms up a little bit more. Sometimes the Spider-Men people have the little webbing right here under the armpits. Yeah. That'd be good to have as well if you want to glide. But it just depends on what you're what you're trying to do and where how fast you're trying to go. Oh, I, I didn't know if it was like that. To me, it's a slow version of falling. And so I thought left and right hands would be like in case shit hits the fan, you could, you know. You have spider webs that could save you to that, go right, uh, right and left. That's where I was thinking. That's true. But I, I didn't think, I was just like, this seems so dramatic. Like he does it, in, <laughs> you know, from the very beginning in every comic book, basically. And I was like, why? And I want to know the answer, peoples. Tell me why. Tell me why I'm stupid. Let Give us know. the answers. All right. Ready? So we're going to do numbers. I'm still, I'm freezing in this basement of mine here, but I have my numbers. Um, why okay. don't we do this together? So basically, um, I guess we'll just go through the boy and the heron first and we'll do my score uh, simultaneously with your score um, and tally them up and see how we're going to do. So so the, the categories are this. Best special effects, and I'll repeat this as we go. Best quote, best score, best editing, best mise-en-scene, best directing, and best ember moment. And they have particular percentages such as 30, 10, 10, 10, 10, 20, 10. So, people, best special effects, I'm going to say, uh, primarily because, and you don't have to explain each one of these, I love the special effects of, and not necessarily just more of the idea of the special effects. So, I, I gave The Boy and the Heron an 85 for special Perfect. effects. Perfect. Uh, I gave it an 80. 80. So, best quote, um, I love my quote that I chose. And so I'm, I was deciding for that and I gave it a 95. 
I gave best quote a 90. I see where this is going. The best score. Um, I love the setting of the music. I don't think it was as good as the quote. I love how every Ghibli movie has either a piano or different types of musical instruments that just set the feeling of every single movie. And I think that's probably something I should objectively like detail out, but it, in the way it makes the film and the, the feeling of the film, I, I gave it a 90. I gave best, uh, best score in 85. And the only reason I docked it a few points was because it, that first part with the piano at the first 50 minutes, it, it like was so soothing and relaxing and almost put me to sleep. And I actually have uh, over this past week, played the soundtrack uh before going to bed to at fall night. asleep <laughs> yes and it's it's fantastic that's but keep in mind that's i think that was the point of it to the dreamlike state of what is reality and what is I, yeah i think that's state. a feature not a bug like i think that's yeah. it's part of it editing um so the editing I, I think at times was a little misshapen um it kind of bugged me occasionally but so i gave it an 85 but i do like the the editing and how they were presenting things i gave it an 80 got it i see where this is going uh mise-en-scene i i, I mean i it, i gave it a 95 because i just thought um there were so many moments where it just represented everything same score 95 Best direct, uh, the directing gave a 90. I thought it was terrific, but I think it, it wasn't as good as uh, Spider-Man. I give it a 95. I thought it, this is, this is Miyazaki's magnum opus. This is his apex mountain. Like I, I think it was amazing. Um, Ember moment. I, I, I originally had it as a hundred cause it was so powerful to me, but I gave it a 95 because I just don't want to start giving out hundreds and I'm sure my score Kind of like, uh, you know, Dave Portnoy is when he's first doing pizza reviews, he's giving out like nines and stuff. So we'll we'll average down, I, I would imagine, after this, but 95. I gave it a 90. Um, the scene that I kind of chose for my Ember moment was the scene where he's deep in the, the, the castle and he sees his stepmom giving birth and all of the little wind ribbons are kind of cu- coming around. And she's basically, she's saying like, I don't want you. And that was, that was super powerful for me. That was, that was powerful. Yeah. Um, but that was his, that, that right there was his, one of his biggest fears of being rejected by his new mom because he wanted to, he went to go search for her. He wanted to gain acceptance and, and for him in his subconscious, that was the fear coming. That was his nightmare. Um, fantastic uh the way that they animated that all right so over to you we have okay one cool. more movie two to go uh to t- t- special effects so we'll uh, do you first yeah special effects i gave this uh, a 95 um i thought the i mean th- this movie is basically uh a, a, it's a trailer like it's it's just fast going everything is so visual and uh it's 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 we don't even know how they did it like i can kind of see how miyazaki did his and drew his but this i just it's it blows my mind same 95 95 uh best quote like i said i feel like there was a lot of zingers a lot of funny moments um there's a lot of some touching scenes like the scene with gwen's gwen's uh uh, gwen stacy and 
um, her dad uh, coming to coming to terms. That was very beautiful. But I say, I think, like I said, that best quote with Hobie Brown, I give it a 75. Like the movie was well-written, but it wasn't, wasn't up to par with uh, Born the Heron. Yeah, I was, I thought, I was going to offend you, but I thought long and hard about this. I just couldn't really find anything. I mean, the the best I could find was like um, the two quotes I said previous, but I just couldn't find anything. And I'm I'm way below because I was disappointed. I gave it actually 60. Uh, I just didn't think it was, didn't think it was great. Um, I mean, this, I didn't create this movie, John. I'm just defending it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Best score. Uh, I thought the score was fun. Um, It was uh, energetic, kind of matching the, the, the pace of the movie. Um, I listened to it a little bit today. I liked the soundtrack. Um, I liked how the worlds that he went to kind of matched like the, uh, the Indian version of Manhattan, Mumbai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. Uh, that that was great. Uh, but overall, I gave the score an eighty. I gave it the same. I I I thought it was I thought it was good, but I just like often there was um, just moments it was kind of distracting. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, but it was good. Uh, best editing. Um thinking about this movie and how it goes so many places and so fast, but you as the viewer don't lose grasp of what's happening was very impressive. I gave it 85. I gave it an 80. I just thought the, the editing was, was terrific. I liked the directing more, but the, the it was choppy. Um, while I was able to follow it, I thought it was very choppy. Um, and it was just, it's frenetic. I think if you were to like take off a few of the scenes, cut some of the score, um, I think it would have been more cohesive. And it, I am absolutely splitting hairs on every one of my refuse of yeah. this. I mean, it's, both these movies are terrific. It's like agreed. choosing a child. Uh, best mise-en-scene. Um, again, I kind of harken back to the job of creating a world, and they had to create so many worlds in this movie, so many different uh, variations. Uh, the fact that they had the balls to reach out to a 14 year old to say, Hey, we want to put you as the creator of this Lego movie or the, the Lego scene in the movie and taking a gamble with that. And it's one of the most memorable things. Um, I give it a 90. Um, yeah, I take a different perspective. I think that to me, in essence of, I don't know if mise-en-scene is, is what you're going for in the Lego movie and your debate there, but like to me, mise-en-scene is a different um, evaluation tool. And I, I gave it a 75 because I felt like it was just a, while there was a lot of moments, I don't think that you could. There was one moment that you can capture that just boils down the, the entirety of the movie. Whereas I think in The Boy and the Heron, there was dozens. Um, I'm sorry again. <laughs> don't apologize. Um, directing. This was a, a a joint effort between three directors, both with each one with a different skill set. I thought they did a, a very impressive job in telling the story, not only um, a story that's very difficult difficult to tell and so that there's so many moving pieces so many different things to grapple with i gave it yeah. an 85 that's i mean i'm disagreeing with your own movie i mean i gave it a 95 i think the director was fucking unbelievable i think it was actually the best part of the entire movie itself um there was a lot of things to, to go into but the the, the directing it was crazy the just a thought, if you think about the thought process that is involved of discussing 
even remotely of the storyboarding of it. And it, it, even before the storyboarding, just the, just the semblance of understanding like where you want to go. And like when JK Rowling was doing like the Sorcerer's Stone or Philosopher's Stone, depending on if you're in the UK or here, it's just, um, I can't imagine the shit show that existed in trying to storyboard this movie. Um, so I, I gave well, it a 95. I thought it was the best part of the, the whole thing. The reason why I, I I did read, and this is on the Wikipedia page, that there were <laughs> there was allegations of uh oh work workers being not abused but maybe verbally abused uh, to meet deadlines and things like that. That uh, a movie? It's every movie is. Come on. I know, I know, but it, I Come guess on, it was newsworthy. At, at, but that, that doesn't sense. have to do. That shouldn't. That you shouldn't take. You're like debating what the author has done, you know, in real life, opposed to just looking at the work itself. Come on, we're we're debating the work itself. You can't, you can't be doing this. Anyway, I give 95. Cool. So uh, Ember best, moment. Ember moment. Uh, my Ember moment, like I said, was that chase scene. I rank it um, up there with you know the French Connection, the Italian Job. Uh, you know these classic chase scenes. Was it was just fantastic. I give it an 80. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, but I gave it, I gave it a seventy. I didn't, I didn't think it was. Um, the, I don't know. The directing was terrific. And yeah, I gave it a seventy. So, do you have a spreadsheet that you plugged all these into, or no? I do. Yeah. Oh, what, what, what are we looking like? What are we at? Who's going to win the Oscar? <sighs> Oof. This is a very different story of this discussion of like, what do you want to win? Um, and what do you think will win? Such as if you ask people like, what is your best, your favorite movie of all time? Or what do you think everyone else's favorite movie of, of all time is? And Godfather, you know, one or two is up for that discussion. But um, what do I want to win? I definitely want the boy in the hair to win for, you know, I'm completely biased, admittingly. Uh, with that said, I, I do think, with that said, I, I should watch all of the other movies. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. For the sake of, There's of watching. Yeah. So I don't think I can objectively analyze it, but. If I had to guess, I think the boy and the heron will win only because Spider-Man won the first time and the Oscars like to be cute with things, regardless of the fact if they think, you know, who should win or not win. Um, I think the directing of, of Spider, Spider-Verse was, I don't know, like if this were an actual movie being shot, first of all, it would be impossible because the shots, but it was unbelievable yeah. in the directing. Um, but across the board, I think it did have again splitting hairs i did i did think it have it had a little lack um especially at the end i just think that it was it was trying to be too cute for me um ultimately and again just i'm picking like i think the contentious and stupid yeah i think i think the emotional weight of the boy and the heron will win out just because it it was just more powerful of a viewing yeah. experience for me. I think and across the Spider-Verse was fun, great to watch, eat some popcorn, put it on. You know, it's 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 a fun watch. Yeah. And it's a, it's very impressive. Boy in the Heron, you have to kind of you have to you have to be involved in like I said, it's 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 taking a place in the back of my mind for the past week week or so. And a lot, a lot of movies don't do that. So, do you want to do you want to see the numbers? I mean, I already know. So we we yeah we don't care about who's going to win the Oscar. Who's going to win the mise en scene <laughs> weekly award? That's more prestigious, right? 
That yeah, kind of. There might be a debate here. I don't actually have our separate scores, so we'll have to to potentially. I mean, I have a, the totality of the scores, which is the only thing that really matters. But in the future, I should probably separate so we can see who did what. So we don't have to summarize here. The difference between the two movies is only three points. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's very close. And surprisingly, I thought um, the total the the total scores would actually be a little higher. Um, but with that said, I think you know as time goes on, we'll probably understand this a little better ourselves. But the boy and the heron for total score and the average is eighty eight point two five. So that's of course best special effects quote score editing, mise en scene directing and ember moment. And we may decide to to change the numbers in the future, but this is what it is for today. And across the the Spider Verse comes in. Three points lower with 85.25. But it's close. I think it's close. I think if we were to have a week over week analysis of two movies and we were able to choose and have a conversation like this, I mean, for example, we're going like like 30 extra minutes. I think think this is going to be the most fun podcast I could ever do. Uh, This was a blast, even though I had to go in to to Kew Gardens to watch a a movie. Uh, But was part of the joy of this to be honest with you and it's you know come to to create a life of its own but hopefully next week i'm not as cold i've been frigid this entire podcast just freezing just get, to death. get a heated blanket get one of those heated know. blankets weighted blankets just, i look like i'm angry <laughs> <laughs> just like trying not to shiver uh but yeah i do what but, i do have i do have a confession john and this goes back to the boy and the heron i made a mistake when i purchased my ticket and i i I watched the dub version. Oh my God. No, you didn't. I did. But oh. I still love the movie. <laughs> it's, 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 you know what? And this is what I read. Oh. This is what I read. I don't, I don't. You didn't read anything because it was dubbed. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but this is, this is one of the more impressive things about Miyazaki films is that he takes special care in choosing the actors to do the dub versions. And I mean, this cast of, I mean, you have Christian Bale, William Defoe, Mark Hamill as the granduncle, Robert Pattinson as Pattinson. the great. He was literally, I didn't, I didn't, didn't know it was him until after I read it. Like, oh, wow. fantastic. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I do want to make that confession. Um, I hope you don't think I'm a dum-dum, but. You are dum-dum. I, I do now want to go, uh, I want to watch the movie subtitled, I think. And I, I, I want to watch the movie regardless again. So, well, that's our show. Well, uh, that is our show. Yeah, yeah. What next are we doing next week? Next week, we're, we're going to keep up with the Oscar theme uh, for one more week. We're going to pick uh, the film that we want to win Best Picture, the one that we're rooting for. Right, and that's rooting what we're for, for a very, very key difference here, not the one that you think is going to win, such as we just discussed. Uh, not now. Wanting to win. That's what we're gonna do. Follow us on all socials at Steen Weekly. 